This is the River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome. You know, we've had people dress up in Bigfoot costumes out in the woods to scare people during cleanups. I mean, we had an idea once. We had a tux form everything. He was going to be working as a butler at cleanups, asking people if they wanted hors d'oeuvres, which would be like double stuff Oreos. We've got a red carpet we roll out for volunteers. You know, just these are just silly things we do to try to make it more of an experience and they have a good time. I think the great thing about the job is like, I think a lot of people has given them an opportunity to do something positive, give them an outlet to do those things, but at the same time, make it fun. Because at the end of the day, you're getting muddy. It's hard work. You know, you got to walk things through log jams. You got to get mud. You got to load it up. And that's one of the things that I feed off. I know is just working with people and the different people that we meet, the cool people that we meet and their energy as well. And then just being able to to be an idiot in the process, like giving fake coach speeches and creating these skits for college students to make their experience more fun, or maybe just more weird, maybe just more fun for us. Today's episode comes to you from the biggest rivers in middle America and is a conversation with a massive river cleanup outfit. Living Lands and Waters is a self-described industrial strength river cleanup organization. They have barges and tugboats and really big john boats. They have staff, they have volunteers, and they have fun. They travel up and down the big rivers on their boats and go perform cleanup contracts at various locations. They work with middle and high school students in the communities where they perform cleanups. And they also host alternative spring breaks for college kids. In January of this year, I was able to talk at length with Mike Coyne Logan, educational facilitator for Living Lands and Waters, and one of the mainstays in their cleanup crew. But really, as Mike says it, everyone there is on cleanup crew, and they might have a few other side duties. Here is Mike introducing himself and his work with Living Lands and Waters. Uh, yeah, my name is Mike Coyne Logan. Uh, I work with, uh, as the, my official title is Education Facilitator, but work with Living Lands and Waters, a uh, nonprofit river cleanup group. And, and, and where are you guys? Where, where do you live and where's your operation out of? Uh, our operation is based out of East Moline, Illinois, right across the river from Davenport, Iowa, but right on the Mississippi River is our headquarters. But our, you know, our barges, we travel up and down the entire length of the Mississippi. Uh, we've worked on a total of 25 different rivers in the United States, sometimes with all our barges, uh, all our barges being four and one is a house barge and a floating classroom. But sometimes we just take our, uh, our John boats, which are uh, 30-foot plate boats that we uh, go out, we take volunteers out to, to pick up trash or uh, also use them just to, you know, like mini garbage boats to fill with trash. They can hold a lot of, a lot of weight and then take that back if we're near our barges uh, to sort, to be recycled as much stuff as possible. And so you're explaining the work at Living Lands and Waters. Would you just give a big picture of what Living Lands and Waters is? Yeah, Living Lands and Waters, it's really the, the only kind of industrial strength river cleanup organization in the United States, possibly the world. You know, we have heavy equipment. We work together as a crew seven months on a barge. One is a house barge, and we have three other barges with, with an excavator that allows us to get bigger items, even like boats, cars, bigger items that end up in our river systems. Um, and then we also just engage volunteers from 
the employees of the companies that sponsor us, to people in the different communities we work, to the students that we um, have come on our floating classroom and go out and just clean up trash. That's our main focus, but we also do other restoration projects. We have our, our Million Trees Project. Today, we've distributed or planted about 1.7 million trees. We have our own nursery where we grow some of those trees to be planted. Um, we also do some restoration work on a small scale, but also done some invasive species removal. So we're really a small crew. We usually stay staffed at about 10 people, and we're under that right now. We're in the process of hiring some people. Um, we do a lot for a, a small group. You know, our, our core is small and for, for all the stuff that we do throughout, throughout a year. You said 25 rivers. Tell me about these rivers. What rivers are you talking about, the size of these rivers, and where else you might work? So our, our major focus has, was originally started with, with the founder who grew up, Chad Pogracki, grew up on the Mississippi River. That's was originally our major focus, still is a big focus of our work, the Mississippi River. Uh, we've always worked on the Ohio River, but been spending a lot more time on the Ohio River, probably from top to bottom as far as trash is one of the, the dirtiest rivers that we work consistently. And then we do a lot of work on the Illinois River. And I could list off all the other rivers, you know, the Missouri, we've worked as far east as uh, the Potomac in D.C., the Delaware in Philadelphia, the East River in New York City, the Cedar River in Iowa after a flood, the Wisconsin River. I mean, I can go on and on, but just worked on the Cuyahoga for the first time this year in Cleveland. But our main focus, Mississippi, Ohio, Illinois, and then we work on other tributaries and rivers throughout the United States. Here at the River Radius, we intentionally work with river outfitters, river community members, river companies, river gear providers, river education providers. Today's sponsor, Big Muddy Adventures, is one of those. Big Muddy Adventures out of St. Louis runs commercial canoe trips on the Mississippi and Missouri rivers. They use clipper canoes and are the only distributor of these Canadian canoes in the United States. When I worked as a river guide, we were hard on the boats and we also knew which boats were the toughest builds and the smoothest on the water. I asked Big Muddy Adventures how they treat their clipper canoes and how these canoes hold up. Would you just talk about uh, the clipper from the standpoint of like, you guys have used this boat commercially. That means you beat them up. How do they stand up to that, that treatment? The clipper canoes that we use, 190 trips a year, these boats are on the water. You know, we do these full moon floats. We're loading 11 people plus a Dutch oven cast iron, full kitchen, everything goes in these boats. <laughs> they go down the cut bank into the water and eight to 10 miles of paddling. And that's three, four, five times a week sometimes. And as you saw earlier today, our put-ins, they're not beautiful boat ramps or docks. They're massive cut banks with rocks and oftentimes concrete, things that canoes hate. And they've always just been great. The clipper canoes, they've, they've stood up to everything that we've been able to throw at them. We are very happy with the reliability. It looks sturdy, it is sturdy, but it's not so heavy that you can't bring it down a massive cut bank to get into a river, an access point that you may not be able to do with another boat. Big Muddy Adventures is on the web at 2muddy.com. That is the numeral 2, 2muddy.com. We have direct on-river experience with Big Muddy Adventures and their clipper canoes. We believe in their crew and their products. When you go to these rivers, 
you're not borrowing gear from the places you go. You're taking all your own equipment. Am I right to think that? Yeah. So how typically it works, we, we set a schedule and we'll, we'll go like for, for example, we're going to start, we already started our, our season right now because usually we're kind of, it's downtime for us, but we're currently working in Kentucky with our excavator barge, one of our towboats. So we have two towboats. We have a, a thousand horsepower towboat that kind of pushes our entire rig, meaning our four barges. And then we have a smaller towboat. Um, it's a 400 horsepower towboat that just is, will break off from the main rig and run with our excavator. Um, John Deere that donated this, this excavator to us and a lot with a, with a grapple claw, just kind of like a giant, you know, just claw excavator. And we, we're picking up right now bigger debris like docks that have been broken up from this tornado housing debris and, and that allows us to get stuff that we weren't able to get bef- before or it would take a lot longer or just be impossible um, but then we also have five uh, or six but five 30 foot and then one smaller like 24 foot jumbo um, that we trailer up and that kind of like comes down to where our, where, where our main rig is but it also allows us to sometimes we don't We'll do cleanups. We'll go to a place and just bring our John boats to do like smaller cleanups. We're not going to be focused in that area as long. Like we might do one cleanup in a small city in, in on the Illinois River and just take a couple of our, our John boats there to do a cleanup, more maintenance work, um, opposed to taking all our you know all our barges to that location. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah There's yeah. a lot of logistics. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So you're saying towboat, or are you saying is that the same as a tugboat? It's a tugboat, tow, yeah. yeah, tugboat, okay. towboat, yeah. And then you're saying that you have. I mean, I've seen these pictures, and I, I would, for people listening, you know, go take a look at the website and their Instagram and Facebook. The pictures are just they're incredible. You have these barges with this huge John Deere excavator on there that's on the dock or on the deck. I mean, this thing is it's a big tractor. And it goes out, and you guys, I'm assuming you pull up to the shore at some kind of close to shore and start lifting trash out. Yeah, and, and sometimes it can be, uh, you know, stuff is not close enough, so we have to, like, run cable. For example, this year in below Cincinnati in Ohio, there were some cars, but they were, you know, the river raises, you know, fluctuates, and we had to kind of walk up a bank that the water will get up to and flood you know, or, or be if the river's at a higher stage, that, that, that will be underwater. Um, but the way these cars were situated, we had to, you know, link cables around them to pull them, then use the barge to like pull them close enough so the excavator could then grab them. Sometimes it's, you know, if you're able to you ideally just pull up and the excavator can grab those bigger items. But a lot of the stuff we get, you know, still over probably half the stuff is with volunteers because stuff gets flooded up back into floodplains, you know, hundreds of yards from, from the actual river. And we just go with volunteers from bagging, you know, smaller stuff like plastic bottles to rolling refrigerators that get flooded up into to nearby forest um, of the river or, or river banks, you know, bag that stuff, tires, and, and, and then that get pushed in these log jams. And then we have to bring it to the bank and then load it into our John boats. And from those John boats, we have to drive three or four miles and then unload that stuff on our barges and sort it accordingly. And like I said, we try to recycle as much of the stuff we, we collect as possible. And do you have, do you know how many volunteers you have worked with total and maybe even annually kind of average? 
I know it's at least over 118,000 volunteers over the years. The last couple of years, volunteer, you know, just with COVID, we're just trying to come back. Last year, we came back with, you know, working with more volunteers. You know, typically we're working with four to 5,000 volunteers a year. There could be a couple of ways I could envision this. That, And first off, this is not your typical river cleanup where volunteers go out with some trash bags and walk along and pick up this and that. This is excavators and barges. But then it's also, it's not that you're just deciding as an organization that we're going to float this stretch of river and go pick up some trash. As I understand it, you set up contracts with different cities or different other other types of municipalities or governing agencies and go to a specific place and spend a specific amount of time doing a contract. Can you talk more about how you decide where to go and, and what happens inside that contract? So there's a lot of different factors. Some of it we, you know, after major, you know, floods, we've done some contract work with, with different states after like uh, a dam broke in Lake, Lake Delton, the dam broke there. I think where they do like the Tommy Barla ski show. We work with the Wisconsin DNR to, to help remove like, you know, entire homes and all the debris from those homes were pushed in to the Wisconsin river. So we were contracted out, you know, from the state with them. We've done some like similar thing happened in Cedar Rapids, this, you know, crazy 500 year flood. It broke the previous flood record by like 20 feet. We work with government agencies there to, to work. But a lot of this stuff is where our sponsors are located to engage them and their employees, but also where there's just a need. Sometimes it's even about us bringing in sponsors from, you know, bringing them to where the trash is too. So we, we do work with cities and cities are usually pretty receptive where we do, but a lot of our funding doesn't necessarily come from state grants. Some does, but a lot of it are contracts with different municipalities. A lot of it is just privately funded through our sponsors or, or just individuals that gives us a little bit more flexibility and freedom to go where there really is a need to do this type of work. Can you just walk us through a day of doing a cleanup? What does that look like? If it's just the crew, you know, we get up and we go out and sometimes we go out and just one boat with with a small crew of three. Sometimes we go out in a couple boats and we like to, uh, you know, we compete to make it competitive. We talk trash about our trash. We kind of have like a point system, you know, like refrigerators are worth more than like, you know, tires because they're rare, you know. So if you can get a couple of refrigerators and you can talk trash about your trash. And then you have like the bowling ball that tops the refrigerator. Fun fact, some bowling balls actually float. I think if they're 12 pounds or lighter. And then you have the message in a bottle, which is kind of like at the top of the pyramid. Um, for as, as far as points. So, you know, you, you obviously look at like who's got more trash in their boat and then you kind of look at what items they got. And then there's always something you can find that's extra unique that, you know, just some crazy item that can top that stuff. So we'll, we'll work that way. Or other times we bring volunteers out um, to do cleanups and uh, we try to make it fun. You know, um, I've kind of taken on this role where it started years ago where Chad goes, Hey, give a fake coach speech, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And it was like at a tree planting, you know, we're doing, and you know, but the same thing's done at cleanups. So and I'm like, I give this just over the top, super dramatic talk. And I remember then at the end, I kind of like, Chad's like, oh, coach wants to kind of have a wrap up and talk about, you know, what we did. And I like climb up on top of this box truck. I just remember I'm getting, I'm start talking and somebody yells, somebody throw a rock at him. We try to make it fun. I think the cool thing about this organization is 
And one of the draws and attraction to me is, first of all, Chad, who started his personality, his energy, and his just sense of humor and trying to make these events fun. You know, we've had people dress up in Bigfoot costumes out in the woods to scare people during cleanups <laughs> and just just ra- just more random. I mean, we had an idea once and the guy, he was, he, we had a tux form and everything. He was going to be wor- working as a butler at cleanups to like, you know, asking people if they wanted hors d'oeuvres, which would be like double stuff Oreos. Um, we've got a red carpet we roll out for volunteers. You know, just these are just silly things we do to try to make it more of an experience and they have a good time. I think the great thing about the job is like, I think a lot of people has given them an opportunity to do something positive, give them an outlet to do those things, but at the same time, make it fun. Because at the end of the day, you're getting muddy. It's hard work. You know, you got to walk things through log jams. You got to get mud. You got to load it up. And um, that's one of the things that I feed off. I know is just working with people and the different people that we meet, the cool people that we meet and their energy as well. And then just being able to, to be an idiot in the process, like giving fake coach speeches and creating these skits for college students to make their experience more fun or maybe just more weird, maybe just more fun for us. So tell me about, tell me about the trash that comes out of the river. You know, like what are you pulling out? How far away is trash coming from? Is it, is it stuff that's super old or is it stuff that somehow got into the river two weeks before you got there? What, what, what's going on with the trash? It, it's, it's, it's all the above. You know, some of it is stuff that got washed in more recently. A lot of it is, you know, nothing exciting. It's boring. It's plastics, you know, like from single-use plastic bottles, straws, um, bags, um, toys, you know, so many different toys. We literally have baby dolls. We have a fence on our barge that, that we've just strung up creepy baby dolls. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's like one of those. We'll do tours with students, and they're completely quiet until we get to the fence where there's these creepy baby dolls, and somehow some of them have like these demon red eyes. I don't know, but it just they'll be like, they won't. You'll anybody with any questions, and they're they'll be completely silent until we get there. Like, what's up with the creepy baby doll fence? But then we also have like a, a toy shelf of di- different random toys that we found over the years, and it's just a a small percentage of that too, you know, stuff like that. And that's always cool. You know, kind of fun. You find some cool action, like who Captain America or, you know, uh, King Kong or a two headed dragon. Somebody found a two headed plastic dragon. That's a pretty sweet river find. Um, two, we found volunteers have found a civil war mortar shell mm. in Paducah, Kentucky. Mm. It looked like a giant bullet, you know, about the size of a Nerf ball and rusted. And so we were riding around the John boat with it, you know, like idiots. But, you know, this is things you learn as far as safety goes. You know, we're, we're really, and I don't mean to like a little bit, we're, we're, we're very adamant about safety. But this is one of those things, you don't expect to find a Civil War mortar shell. So this guy finds it and uh, he leaves it and he says, hey, can I get that back? We go, no problem. We found it, you know. And then we put it on our Facebook page. You know, this is a cool, you need to find people like, hey, you need to get that checked out. It could still have black powder on it. It could still be live and go off. So I've got to reach back out to this guy and say, hey, you need to get this checked out. And he's, he's like, yeah, for sure. He So he calls the authorities. They come to his apartment complex and say, yeah, it is still live. They bring in like the bomb squad. They have to evacuate his entire apartment complex, I guess. And said if it went off, it could have blown up half the building. But uh, so that to like 
safes we found, you know, old safes, the smaller safes. Then in Paducah, we, we pulled out with our excavator. This year, it looked like a boiler from an old steamboat, like an old, old-time boiler. Chad's found, like, surveillance tapes from bank robberies. Oh, wow. And he calls, he literally says he calls the police. And he's like, you know, hey, I got this surveillance tape. And he's like, the guy, he says the police officer, like, or the detective just pulls up to the boat ramp and he just opens the trunk, just throw it in the trunk, and then he doesn't hear anything else about it. First, they found empty money bags, and then they found the surveillance tape that was wrapped in SRAM wrapped in duct tape that apparently had been thrown off the bridge. And those are some unique things. Horses head, I know Chad's found a horse's head wrapped in SRAM wrap in a cooler. Wow. So yeah. Have you has any of the stuff you've pulled out ever solved any crimes? Uh, I mean, we have found the remains of bodies that have brought closure to people that, have, you know, had loved ones that have been missing. So that's stuff that we've been a part of, kind of a weird thing, a fortunate thing, but th- that's happened a few times. The remains of bones, another time a body that hadn't been in the water that long. Those not necessarily solving crimes. Right. So tell me about what's going on in Kentucky. You know, those, those big tornadoes hit in December and you all, your crew is down there. You're home. You're on COVID quarantine, <laughs> so you can't go. But but uh, the crew is down in Kentucky, but they're on a lake which is made by dams. Just talk about that a little bit. What's going on down there? Yeah, so they're on Kentucky Lake, which is a part of the Tennessee River. It's just outside Paducah, Kentucky, but they're on Kentucky Lake. And what happened is these tornadoes came through there, ripped up people's docks, debris from their homes. They got swept into to the lake there. So they're, they're, they're down there just, for the most part, picking up bigger debris with that excavator and getting just complete bargefuls of debris, one or two of those a day, and then working with the city and, and working with Cambridge Shores, Kentucky, and working with the federal agencies of FEMA trucks to get that stuff hauled away. They're taking it to a location every day. They're collecting and offloading it every day. And is that a is that a contract you guys are under, or are you guys just volunteering your time? No, you know we're just volunteering our time. You know we have a lot of people that have helped us out over the years in that area, and we have the equipment, and we're like, this is an area that that has a need, and I, I don't know how else. You know, we are, we're obviously trying to work with you know gain gain some some money from you know we just to cover our costs at the very least, but. We know a lot of people in that 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 area. We worked a lot in that region for years and years. What what are the what are the folks that are down there telling you? I mean, you know, the news. I, I saw some videos of these tornadoes that they're mega wide, and that there's the stories that they that one tornado might have gone 200 miles, crossing state lines. Uh, the news talks about the the level of damage and the deaths and all this. What are, what are your folks that you're that you work with seeing? So we've got we've got a guy, a kid that's running our excavator. He's from that area. He went back home. And he's like, man, it, it is nuts how bad it is. And they had we had worked um, earlier in the year down in New Orleans doing some disaster relief. He's like, man, it's even worse than that. And from what they're saying, I've seen video, but they're just like, it's unbelievable. Like Chad's been saying. And just the guys on there, just, it's so crazy. They're like, I've never seen anything like it as far as the amount of of stuff that just needs to be cleaned up in the, the havoc that the disaster, uh, you know, just, just wrecked, you know, 
for for that 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 area down there. And a lot of it in the proximity of of the Kentucky Lake, which is the Tennessee River, a lot of that debris got into the water. Yeah, and, and a lot of it being just docks. You know, a lot of people recreate on that that lake mm-hmm. um, to just other random debris that just got blown in there. I know there was a car they pulled out already. They pulled out like seven pontoon boats, two other boats, and then just all the docks and other debris too. Wow. Yeah. A quick note here. This interview and conversation with Mike was recorded in mid-January of this year, 2022. At that time, Living Lands and Waters was on Kentucky Lake, a human-created lake with water from the Tennessee River in western Kentucky. As you just heard, they were cleaning up the debris from the massive tornado hit that swiped through the lower Midwest in December of 2021. That was an EF4 tornado with max winds around 190 miles per hour. 56 lives were lost in this event. Several towns and communities were hit really hard. This was a supercell system with families of tornadoes and possibly one large tornado that did much of the damage traveling across Arkansas, the northwest corner of Tennessee, across Kentucky, and into Ohio. Just recently, I talked with Mike via text and email. He has now joined the cleanup crew in Kentucky. He said that in this year, 2022, Living Lands and Waters has cleaned up 1.2 million pounds of trash out of the Tennessee River in this post-tornado cleanup. That is the most trash they have ever cleaned up in one year. And it is only February. So I want to ask you a little bit more about the trash. And this comes from, this question comes from, so you and I had a prep phone call before we talked today. And you talked about how, you talked about how the trash in the oceans, that 90%, some number like that, about 90% of the trash in the oceans is coming out of rivers. It makes sense. And then that a lot of the trash in rivers is not necessarily intentionally dumped in a river, but it just kind of works its way there by gravity because rivers are the low spots in the land, but also by wind. Can you just go over that, how, how trash moves into rivers? Yeah, so, you know, I go into schools all the time and I, I ask kids, you know, how do you think this trash got here? And they said, people dumping it in, floods, wind. And then I always ask them, if we were to go outside right now, would we find any trash, you know, a block in either direction or just on the street? And they go, yeah, of course. And I say, you know, how do you think it gets there? Even though we're miles away from the river, how can this trash potentially get there? And, you know, some of them know, or some of them are the, at least get some thinking, but, you know, just from storm drains to the the small stream or creek, all that water eventually leads into the bigger body of water or that bigger watershed, which is, you know, usually a, a bigger river in that community. And then those rivers, a lot of times enter out into our oceans. And, and, and a lot of this being, you know, plastic debris and just how ubiquitous plastic is. That's a big thing, you know, just getting away from these single use plastics. And so that's something that, I mean, you, you guys do this on river, cleanup projects but you're also going into schools talk about that what's what's going on with that yeah we do so we do a lot of uh outreach especially in the winters but the biggest thing is our floating classroom where we bring kids in the different towns we're not only doing cleanups you know we're not only reacting to the problem but being proactive and bringing students out onto the barge showing them the trash we collected talking about it doing hands-on river education 
And then a part of that, a lot of times, is doing a river cleanup itself and then discussing those issues, particularly plastic pollution and what they can do themselves to to change it and make it better. And is that is that all ages of of, of kids coming out? We focus it's there there's been all ages. We focus mostly on like junior high, high school mm-hmm. age students. Um, but we've had younger kids out as well. But that's typically the the age range that we focus on. And you do alternative spring breaks? Yeah, we have college students that come out every year. The past few years we've been working a lot out of Memphis, Tennessee. And those are a lot of fun. Just the kids are great feeding off their energy. And like I said, doing those ridiculous skits and um, just getting a lot done. You know, they're, they're awesome kids. You know, they, they're taking the, you know, they're using their spring break to go out and do something positive. And, and uh, we, we just get, I mean, we get so much done with their help. And so are they like, when they come out and do that, are they living on the barges with you? No, we don't have enough space. That would be crazy. They get hotel rooms. They're able to do whatever they want at night, you know, and, uh-huh. and, and have, and have, you know, their free time it's it's funny to see kids maybe the some of the kids are their energy levels are a little lower um the third or fourth day of spring break yeah. for, for, for a variety of reasons no but the, you know they're all really good kids yeah i mean like i said they're taking their spring break to come out and help clean up trash on the river we are pleased to have a fantastic river company advertising with us today big muddy adventures is out of the river city of st louis Big Muddy Adventures is a complete guide and outfitting shop for all of your river gear, and they have a fleet of beautiful clipper canoes for sale. This winter, I paddled the Mississippi with Big Muddy Adventures and their clipper canoes. I could tell you about how Big Muddy is the only place in the United States that you can buy these Canadian-built canoes. I can tell you how light and strong they are, how they will handle gear and strong currents. But instead of me, here is the guide crew from Big Muddy Adventures to tell you about clipper canoes. So, Tony, you were saying a little bit ago that it's stable. Yeah, so this is my first uh, time in, in this clipper tripper, and uh, it is incredibly stable. I'm in the front of the boat, and I'm not normally in the front of the boat, and we've come across some really nice big rollers uh, that some uh, barges have kicked up at us, and it takes them really well. I'm, I was expecting to be a little more nervous hitting the chop here in the port of St. Louis, but... I find myself wanting to keep hanging out here because I feel 100% safe. Natalie, you've been taking pictures of this thing and you paddled it earlier. I did. Yeah, what do you think of it as you watch it across the river? This thing takes the Mississippi on so well. It just moves smoothly across the water. It just looks like a beautiful boat. Big Muddy Adventures is on the web at 2muddy.com. That is the numeral 2, 2muddy.com. In the episode notes for today's episode, you can find links to Big Muddy Adventures' website and Instagram accounts. They have excellent pictures of their boats on the Big Mississippi and Missouri Rivers. When you support Big Muddy Adventures as an advertiser, you are supporting the work of the River Radius. Thank you. You know, so one thing that is of interest to me, and it goes back to that first conversation you and I had, where we just were kind of just just discussing the idea of this interview. And, you know, you talked about, well, I was talking about how a lot of the shows I do in the past have been Western river running and and smaller boats and and like rowing boats down rivers and that kind of stuff. And you expressed that that's not something you have done before. And at at the same time, you are definitely 
living on the river. Like you are one of these river people, you know, like we could all go hang out together and have a lot of commonalities in our experiences with rivers. So I'm just curious. I'd like to hear more about like you as a river person, your relationship with rivers, the people you work with, their relationship with rivers, what life is like for you um, on the river. You know, it's, it's awesome, but sometimes you need to, we get so like uh, busy and get immersed in the work. You need to take a step back and realize how, how beautiful it is, the places you're working, you know, right now, missing it, you know, just, I think anybody that loves the river, there's a, there's just that once it gets in your blood and I know it seems kind of cheesy and cliche, but there's definitely an addiction and a draw to it when you're away from it a while. Another cool thing about the job is the people you meet. And the thing I love about our job too, is it's, it's hard, tangible work. And I think these days there's a lot of things that divide, you know, this is not, this is no revelation, but with social media that divides people. And I still believe that that most of us have a lot more in common than we do different. And I think one thing that no matter your background politically or all these different things, doing hard work and doing it on the river, it definitely creates these cool relationships you have with, you know, just a variety of different people. And it's a great starting point to then have other conversations and, and reconnect people on why do we need to protect them and what we can do about it. But it first starts with building these relationships. And I think doing, you know, work together, hard work together, that's a great starting point, you know, because at the time, you know, we just got to get this tire, we got to get this barrel. But you do that enough with people and you you meet them, your friends or contacts in these cities and, you know, they're they're like, hey, you know, like this guy, T-Roy, his name's Troy, but we call him T-Roy. He was just the guy traveling up and down the river on a boat installed and Chad let him borrow one of our work trucks and it's like you couldn't have like ran into a better guy that is connected to the river he lived on like a houseboat but he's the guy that just owes everybody from up and down a certain stretch of the river like if you need like hey Tira could you help us yeah I know a guy you know one of those guys you're right right just just this guy's like that they're just cool or like what's going on tonight you know it's a Saturday we're in town like what are you doing to your work oh there's this band playing you know just and that you know are going to these little bars and it's like in the middle of nowhere there's like just really there's some guy that used to play in the Marshall Tucker band wow you know this other guy you know just stuff like where you stumble upon these cool little things like that that's that's a really cool part of the job yeah, the me, the towns you get to roll into and just hang out that are not on the interstates and that are not on the main through fares that you get to kind of backwoods into. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. you're not expecting, you know. Yeah. You got any favorite towns out there? That's a tough. I mean, Cincinnati is cool. There's so much stuff right on the river. I mean, there's little towns like Ripley, which is north of Cincinnati, and it was just one of those towns that just embraced this right away. Like we couldn't get, for some reason we couldn't get all our barges up and they literally had the, like there's two bars on the river and there's like a bar that would just bring us out beers at the end of the day. And the people were the town, the whole town was cool. Like they gave us like, you know, it's not this big city and they gave us like a $500 check and they had their 
we didn't have our uh, barges, so we couldn't like sort through our stuff. We had some like logistical stuff go wrong for us. So we're literally like storing tires in the back of our tow boat. But they they like brought their local garbage truck down every day, no charge to us. Like at the end of the day, we'd unload everything we'd gotten from that day from the river. Um, so, and then there's, you know, Grafton, Illinois is really cool where the confluence of the Illinois and Mississippi meet. Memphis is, you know, there's cool things about that city. Obviously the history and, you know, the music there, New Orleans. I mean, it just depends, you know, like in some places are prettier than others as far as aesthetically, like stretches in between above Louisville, north of Louisville that are real pretty. So that's a tough question. You know, every place has got, there's more than one. The, um, a couple of questions going on here. So one more about your living on the river. You have this boat that's got quarters, I'm assuming, to sleep in, to cook in, shower yeah. if you want to. Like, tell me about that boat, like that that part of your, your setup. Well, it's cool to talk about the evolution of of the living quarters because originally you know when chad first started it was it was you know people living on like a this boat this hospital called the miracle in literally super tight quarters and then we got this old headquarters that we retrofitted it got infested with brown recluse spiders Yo. so now we've got this this barge it was built now been for like eight years or so we've had it union carpenters got together built this a lot of it out of repurposed materials. It's got solar panels. You got a room. We got two bathrooms on it versus the old bar you lived on. It had only one. It's got Wi-Fi. It's just it's it's really pretty nice. It's got like recycled barn tin on the outside. Um, recycled barn oak is the kitchen floors. Um, pine that makes up the shelves and the ceilings. That was dead pine killed by pine beetles in uh, Colorado that we brought out. So. Um, Really, really cool. And then we have it decorated by all these different random signs we found on the river on the outside. Um, so that's our new living quarters. And then it's got a classroom slash our living room um, where we bring students out to do to do educational stuff. So the other thing I'm curious about, you know, you were talking about the towns you meet and the people you meet. You know, you're you're pulling trash out, and it sounds like people appreciate that. I'm curious, though. One of the things I've noticed about rivers in our country, the way our country interacts with rivers is that we drive over them. And then even in my lifetime, I've noticed that bridges, when I was a kid, where I live here, where I grew up, uh, you would drive over a bridge and you could really see the river. You could take a quick look both directions. You could really see up and down it. Now these bridges, man, the concrete comes up the side so far. You can't see the water. And it's fairly annoying to me that those have just been, we've just been further and further ostracized from rivers. Levees are bigger. Roads move away from flood zones. So in the work you're doing, you're going to these communities, you're meeting people who are in river communities. You all are river people. I'm curious about how you see these Midwestern folks engaging with their rivers, these big rivers, and what that relationship looks like. Um, you know, it varies from, you know, there's, there's towns like, and it, and it, it, it varies on, you know, throughout the city, there's a lot of times when people we come in contact with are very connected to their rivers, you know, um, that's how we meet them. You know, they're on the river, they're doing stuff on the river. Um, for example, like Cincinnati, 
used a lot by like recreational boaters. There's more of a, and a lot of the stuff is right on the river. Um, opposed to like Memphis, Tennessee, you've got to, you know, you get that far south of the Mississippi River. It's not as, it's a little more intimidating. Um, it's a bigger, you know, scarier river. Um, I think people still value the river there, but maybe not on the, they're not as maybe as connected as in these other places where it's just safer to do recreational activity on the river and have that connection. Um, but it varies, you know, you still work with these, you know, these cool, these kids that live within the community that really just for one reason or another, they, they're just still disconnected from the river and combine that with, you know, just kids being like, just technology just inundated and engulfed with technology but it's cool to see them you know they make this connection and and for the most part most kids really enjoy it you know and that's an important part of what we do it's not so much the cleanup itself but making people aware of the problem but also reconnecting people to something that really should be the highlight of of communities just because of the value of it um, for just so many of reasons. First of all, this is, is a water resource, but then just the cultural, you know, historical significance of, of, of these important, important resources. And, and the main reasons, you know, these towns are the sizes they are, we're settled where they are, right? Because of this water. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you talked about the, like, some of the things that get into the river, they make sense that they're there. Uh, you know, of course, I'm not pumped about like single use plastics, but it makes sense. They're lightweight, they're small, they move easy, right? But an appliance, right. like, why is an appliance in a river? So, like, big things, refrigerators. Why is it in the river? So, you know, some of those things I think has to do with logistics, poverty, obviously, you know, cultural, you know, and it doesn't take many people to like for the things that actually get dumped in there, like maybe that's the scrapyard to take that refrigerator to properly get it disposed of recycled is so far away and they don't have the means to do it. It's a lot easier just to dump it in a Creek that then over time flows to the river or they're right on the river and they just, you know, or they set it up on the bank and over time it gets swallowed up. So some of it, unfortunately is done. I mean, we've been to places on the Ohio where they're literally, you know, thousands of tires in like a 400 yard radius that have been rolled down this hill for years. And you'll find these random spots like that where it's just crazy. You know, what's, what do you hear about that's being done to prevent trash from here forward to prevent trash from going into rivers? Yeah. So part of that is, uh, We've been working, one city in particular, we've been working in the city of Memphis for a long time. And uh, there's a creek that drains about 50% of the watershed there. And part of that is putting in a boom in place uh, around that creek to kind of collect it um, and keep it from being pushed out of the main channel of the river and, and kind of keep it centralized. Uh, other other components of that is, you know, just different programs where they, you know, are educating people on how this litter, how these plastics or any up in our waterways. I mean, there's a variety of different ways. I think just, you know, even in my city itself, you know, recycling becoming more convenient. You know, 20 years ago, we didn't have 
um, another bin just for recyclables. And now we do, mm-hmm. you know, so if you make things easier for people, the education component is really important too. I mean, how many things are we all doing that's, that we could be doing better? We just don't know better. Yeah. So the the other thing kind of in, in that question, I'm curious about your perspective on how rivers are doing and, and you, the rivers you're working on are that kind of, um, they're the amalgamation. They're, the, those rivers are the amalgamation of so much water on the North American continent from the continental divide of the Rockies and that high divide of the Appalachians, all that water in between those two places is sweeping down into these rivers that you folks, <laughs> you seven folks and your bunch of volunteers and your, your barges and your excavator, you're going out and cleaning up 11 and a half million pounds of trash. It's so incredible. You see these rivers in such a unique way. You travel them, you clean them, you come back and you see the places you've cleaned just because you're traveling past it en route to somewhere else. I'm curious what you think. Like how how do you feel? How do you perceive that rivers are doing where you work? They're doing good. I think it's kind of a you know what? I I find and this is this is a weird this is going to be sound like a weird answer. I think rivers are in some ways cleaner than people think, but also facing a lot of problems that are dirtier that those people don't know or realize that they're facing from runoff from different other, you know, from agriculture, from, from storm, you know, combined sewage overflow um, to just stuff that gets spilled and, you know, on city streets from, you know, spilled oil to all that stuff. But there's some of these people think that our rivers are really like, they can't believe that we get our water from, you know, like, wow, we get our water, like, or you can go into that water. Mm-hmm. So I think they're at the same time cleaner than people think, but there are also a lot of other issues that they're unaware of that, that need to be, you know, dealt with and, and, and improvements that need to be made. Cause they, we, for years, people just would, there used to be no restrictions, you know, just dump whatever, you know, dilution is the solution you know there's no regulation mm-hmm. to like the clean water act and you know that's an ongoing battle and i'm not i'm not by any means a, a policy expert and that's not you know really our avenue we're just trying to we're we're kind of the stepping stone to get people to engage and think about these other issues but um i still think people are like man you can you can go into that water like yeah, it's not as bad as you think. We'll do water testing, and but there are there other issues that they're unaware of. And do, do, can rivers be a lot better? Yes, yes, they can for sure. And there's a lot of different and, and more than just the plastic, obviously, but other things that are in up in our river system and also having a negative impact on our our oceans as well, too. All right, I'm looking at all these questions, and I feel like we've hit it. Do you? Is there anything you? that you want to talk about that you feel like we're not addressing or that you feel like is important? I think one of the big key components is we're really adamant about recycling as much stuff as possible. We even have events where people sort through the bags to recycle. We call it recycle like a rock star. Just seeing the evolution of what we recycle. We've always recycled the scrap. Bridgestone takes our tires to be repurposed, but now even the bigger, bulkier plastic, we've found outlets to 
have that stuff recycled, the 55 gallon barrels, the five gallon buckets to uh, two fours and fives, like detergent bottles that used to just be uh, a lot of the stuff that would, you know, especially the bulkier stuff would just go into a landfill. So um, just always looking ways for ourselves to improve. And um, another side project Chad's got going is Bison Bridge yeah. project, uh, trying to create a national park and uh, to salvage, you know, if they build a new bridge over 80, to save that bridge, making a land pedestrian bridge, but another way to also highlight the river, bring, you know, you talked about people drive over bridges and they don't get to really uh, see the river or, uh, or disconnect from it. It's another way for people to get connected to the river in a really cool way and create this this kind of progressive, cool land bridge that's also going to have bison on one side. Anyway, bisonbridge.org. That's kind of a side project at Chad's, but another thing that's connected to the river and kind of near to dear our hearts here at Living Lands and Waters. So if people want to get in touch, they can get on your website. They can find you on Instagram and Facebook, Living Lands and Waters. And uh, if they want to volunteer, I mean, is it is it cool for people to just sign up and say we want to come out and do some work? Yeah, just just check us out at uh, livinglandsandwaters.org. Awesome. Well, that's what I got, man. Those are my questions. Thanks, man. Yeah, you're welcome. And thanks for thanks for doing this. It's super fun. I someday I might call you all up again and see if I can get on a boat with you and go out for a while. You're more than welcome, man. Just just give us a call, and, and I mean that yeah. sincerely. A Mississippi Valley thank you goes out to Mike Coin Logan for talking with me and to Living Lands and Waters for the work they do. Living Lands and Waters is hiring for the education team. In the episode notes today is a link to their contact info. If this work sounds valuable and fun to you, you can send a message and begin the application process. Today's sponsor is Big Money Adventures, your pathway to a clipper canoe. You can find their link in the episode notes. Our first giveaway on Instagram completed this past month. Congratulations to Josh Evis, who won the giveaway, a pair of wooden canoe paddles from Big Muddy Adventures, a cuddle buddy from Fun Love and Fleecewear, and a Paco pad from Jack's Plastic Welding. In March, the River Radius will publish our first cluster of three episodes on the topic of how to run rivers. These episodes will focus on food packing, how to get kids on the river, and swift water rescue. You can be in touch anytime. Hello at theriverradius.com. Thanks so much for joining The River Radius. You know, we compete to make it competitive. We talk trash about our trash. You don't realize how much you miss your taste and smell. I mean, just eating food for the sake of, and not for joy, it really, really sucks. I just eat sustenance because I need it. There's no joy in it. It's just like, anyway. My favorite TV character of all time, Zach Morris from Saved by the Bell. I don't know. That's a lie. That's a lie. Just so you don't lose all respect for me. He's like my third favorite TV character of all time. Anyway, you guys have a great night.